Good morning. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at Holland Chapel, and it is so, so good to be here this morning. My family and I enjoyed a little three-night vacation around the state of Arkansas last week and did a little trout fishing and waterfall hunting and just enjoyed God's creation, got together with each other and got to get away, and it was Awesome, and I know several people watching online are out enjoying God's creation called the beach this morning. And so, just want to send a reminder if you're out on vacation somewhere, just be sure to include a picture of you watching HC online with all those beach pictures. Uh, while we look at your vacation pictures, we want to see that you were with us here this morning, and thank you for doing that. And don't forget your sunscreen, also. I had forgotten about uh, where I would be this morning until Todd got up on the uh, welcome and said that we were supposed to be in Harbor City at Harbor City Church this morning. I actually was supposed to be there this morning uh, in Boston, uh, but God had other plans, and I can honestly, wholeheartedly say there is no place on the planet that I would rather be right now than right here at Holland Chapel. Maybe it's because I would have been hurting 20 teenagers around Boston, but also it's because I get to uh, break down 1 Peter chapter 4 with you guys this morning, and I am really, really excited about what Peter says in chapter 4. We're nearing the end of our series in 1 Peter. Uh, you can go back and listen online, and now you can go back and watch online. Go to our Facebook page, and you can actually watch the sermons and the, and the worship gatherings online. The series is entitled, Living for Christ in a hard world. Last week, Pastor Roger said this, and I wrote it down quickly because I wanted to use it again because it's a, it's a great illustration, a great uh, uh, statement of what Peter's teaching us here. Uh, Roger said, Peter's teaching the early church and us now that salvation isn't just about becoming a new person, but it's about living a new life. And that's what we get to uh, again here in 1 Peter chapter 4. So if you would open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to go through this uh, section the way that I really like to do it is kind of verse by verse. And, um, and you'll see that a lot is packed in right here at the very beginning. So 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 1. It says, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. Now, let's just, we didn't even make it all the way through the first verse, but we've got to stop here and talk about this. He says, So then, since. In other words, Peter is saying, Let me remind you again what Jesus did for you. He says, Let me tell you once more, because that's the driving force behind our new life and this new lifestyle that we're living as believers. Because of what Christ did for us, we live following him. It's our response to his incredible act of love. And so Peter opens up chapter 4 with, So then since Christ suffered. This is already the fifth time that Peter mentioned in this little short book. Peter's mentioned already five times about Christ's suffering. And he's going to go on to do it two more times in the next, in the next chapter. And so seven times in Peter's letter, he reminds us about Christ's suffering because it's, it's the driving force behind our new lifestyle. He says, uh, since Christ suffered physical pain. Now, we just sang about the physical pain. I didn't know that we were going to sing those songs, but the physical pain is right there in those songs. At the cross, it's the events leading up to and on the cross that he didn't have to endure, but he did it uh, because of his love for us. And he, and he went to the cross and he suffered the, the, the humiliation and the beatings and the torture and the cross. And it's that physical pain that Peter says, so then since Christ suffered physical pain, he says, arm yourselves. I, I love the words that Peter used here in this chapter. And there's going to be several spots where I say, I just, I just love the word picture 
that Peter creates for us there. He says, arm yourself. That's a, a phrase that you would hear when you're preparing for battle. You know, the, the army or, or you're preparing for any kind of battle and the, and the leader says, arm yourselves. Get ready. Why would Peter say, arm yourselves? Because he knew that we were in a battle. Look at this verse on the screen, John 15, verse 19. This is Jesus talking. He says, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Now, earlier in this letter, Peter's already told this early church, and now he's telling us that, that we're a chosen people, and this world is not our home. And so just right there in Jesus' statement, we know that trouble is going to come. And so Peter says, arm yourselves. Be ready for this battle that's coming. Trouble is on its way because we're not of this world. We're a chosen people. We're to be acting different. We're to be living different. And the enemy is going to attack. Last week, our passage with Pastor Roger dealt a lot more with being reactive. Uh, for example, it said, don't repay. Don't retaliate. It was a lot about how to react to the world around us. And today, Peter's teaching us to be proactive. But maybe not how you would think. He's teaching us to be proactive in this world uh, when he says arm yourselves. And when I, if I was to say here right now, everybody go out and arm yourselves, everybody's probably going to think of a different weapon that you may have laying around your house. You may be thinking of a, a rifle, or you may be thinking of a 20-gauge, or you may be uh, thinking a little more serious, Paul McCullough, I know. Uh, I, I heard a funny story about my grandmother and a rabbit in her garden and a pellet gun yesterday. She might be thinking of her pellet gun she's going to arm herself with. Uh, Avery, my nine-year-old, would be thinking of her slingshot. And just for uh, information, dads in the room, if you buy a $3 slingshot at a flea market, don't take your turn trying to shoot the rock across the water because it's not going to hold up. <laughs> Avery got about four rocks in before dad took over. So let me try. Snap. <laughs> but you're all going to think of something different if I say, go home now and arm yourselves. Here's what no one's going to think of. No one's going to think of an attitude. You don't think of an attitude when you think of arming yourself, but that's what Peter says. See, this attitude is the secret weapon needed to live for Christ in a, different, in a difficult world. Arm yourselves with the same attitude that led Jesus to the cross and kept him there. That humble attitude, that attitude that brought him from a place that we long to go to, that we sang a minute ago in our first song, we long to go to that place, and that attitude brought Christ from that place to the one that we're ready to leave here. He had the attitude that brought him here for us. And you might say, well, the world wasn't that bad back then. It wouldn't have been that big a deal back then. But did you forget that when Jesus was born, the king said, kill all the babies? And then you just have to read down a couple of verses to see all the craziness that was going on and all the warnings throughout the New Testament that told Christians to live differently because here's what unbelievers are doing. All the same stuff that we're dealing with, they were dealing with. And yet Christ had the attitude that I'm going to leave this place that everybody's going to want to be, to be at and go down there and love them and endure beating and endure hardship and endure temptation and endure the cross. That's the attitude. That's the secret weapon. That's the attitude that we are supposed to arm ourselves with. Another version says, uh, not with the same attitude, it says with the same mind. I'd describe that as the thought process, intention, a resolve to carry out God's will because that's what Jesus had. He had that resolve, that mindset that I'm going to carry out the Father's will. 
life's challenges, responsibilities, outright attacks from our enemy are coming. As Jesus said in John chapter 15, we're to approach them with the same attitude that Jesus had. He described that attitude in John chapter 8, verse 29. He says, I always do what pleases him. That's Jesus speaking of his Father. Arm yourselves with that attitude that no matter what comes my way, I'm going to please God. I'm going to carry out his will. I loved Pastor Roger's illustration last week about uh, when he said that how many times we want to say to someone, I want to give you a piece of my mind. You notice that word there? Give you a piece of my mind? What kind of mind is Peter saying that we're supposed to have here? The same mind as Christ. My mind's got nothing to do with it. I'm supposed to align my mind with the same attitude that Christ had. We've got to get rid of the my. Now you can see right there, we could preach a whole sermon right there and before we even finish verse 1, but I've told the guys we're going to get through this section, so we're going to go on to the next little part here. Read along with me. I'll reread that part, and we'll go to verse 3. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. There's that attitude that Christ had, doing the will of God. Verse 3, you've had enough in the past of evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. That's not the 21st century, that's the 1st century, and that's what was going on. He says there at the end of verse 1, if you've suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. He says something kind of confusing there, finished with sin. Obviously, we're not without sin. No one in this room would say, I'm going to make it through this week with no sin. I don't think anybody would be so bold as to say that. We recognize that we slip up, that we mess up. And so what Peter's saying here, there's a, a couple of possibilities that we could go with. Number one, if, if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. It could mean free from the eternal penalty of sin because of the blood of Jesus, which is true for all who've placed their faith in Jesus and have trusted his death and resurrection for salvation. You're free from that eternal penalty of sin because Christ paid it all on the cross. But more likely, the meaning there is that sin has lost its power over you. Sinful pleasures seem less important and notice he says, you have finished with sin. If anybody's ever quit anything, you can relate to that, where you just throw your hands up and say, I'm finished with that. I'm done with it. I'm walking away from it. It's not appealing to me anymore. I don't want to be there anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. And Peter says, if you've suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. Romans 6, 6 and 7, I think it's on the screen. It says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And still struggle with sin? Yes. But ceased with it as a lifestyle. It no longer has dominion over you. If you're willing to suffer for Christ, you're putting on that mind of Christ, that attitude of Christ. You're going to be anxious to carry out the will of God. Then there's a break from sin as a way of life. It bothers you. You're mad when you sin. You don't want any more of that. You say, I'm finished with it. And that's what Peter was saying here. Verse 2 says, you won't spend the rest of your life 
chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. Rebellion, disobedience, those kind of things don't characterize us anymore. We're anxious to carry out the will of God. You've come to trust this as true, and you've entered into that new way of life that Peter's telling us how to live. You're not going back to the old way anymore. You can agree with David when he says in Psalm 19, David says, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. And the laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. He says, I'm finished with all that other stuff. I'm following the word of God. I'm living a new lifestyle. I'm finished with sin. Look what Peter says. We read on in verse 4. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. Another one of those word pictures. Your friends are, when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things. I don't know if, how many young people are in the room, but uh, if there's young people in the room, you could probably look around because I'll bet you every adult in the room, adults, can you testify that sin can overtake you like a flood? Anybody? Sin can overtake you like a flood. Peter says, plunge into the flood of wild and destructive. He knows you just can't tip, stick your toe in it. We were on the uh, Red River, and we were trying, daring ourselves to stick our toe in it because it was so cold. And we were just sticking our toes in the water. You can't do that with sin. You plunge into a flood of wild and destructive living, and Peter knows that. And he says, you're no longer doing that anymore, so people are going to look at you differently. Remember, the last time I was um, privileged to preach in 1 Peter, we were in chapter 2. And uh, we talked about that, where's Waldo Christian? You're supposed to look different. The people, his friends don't look at him anymore. Uh, they look at him differently because he's not doing those things anymore. We talked about it. You don't want to be a where's Waldo Christian that doesn't stand out and you can't find the Christian in the picture. We're supposed to look different. And that's true here for first century Christians as well as for 21st century believers. We're called to be different. And then again, Peter ties the letter together. It's what I love about going through a book of the Bible. The author ties it together. He doesn't just leave a thought here in, in, in chapter 2 and doesn't come back to it in chapter 4. He, he, he ties it all together. And again, just like he mentions suffering of Christ over and over again, the judgment has already been discussed as he brings it up again here in chapter 4. And, um, and then we do need to address, though, verse 6, because it's a little bit confusing. It, it, there are several interpretations of this verse 6 where he says, that is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God 
in the Spirit. And one thing I love about studying the Bible and, 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 and preaching forces me to go in deeper study. And, and I think you would agree with that as well. As you do a Bible study, you're forced to go deeper than just surface level and reading. And, and you tend to find out things and get to the meaning of things and, 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 and see what the author was really saying here. If you look at Peter's audience and the rest of Scripture, we can discern what he's addressing here. And it's a concern of early church believers. See, many of the believers in this early church were worried that their loved ones who had passed away before Jesus came, before Jesus' life and before Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, they, they were worried that their loved ones wouldn't experience eternal life. And, and so Peter here is making them well aware and assuring them that the good news of this Savior and a God who loved them was preached to all people even those who had passed away by the time of this letter. And so he was, he was giving them comfort so that they could know that they too would enjoy that priceless inheritance that he talks about in chapter 1, just like all believers. And so Peter is comforting the church here with this statement. And then he makes a statement that I've heard many, many times, and you have as well, especially recently in verse 7. He says, the end of the world is coming soon. The end of the world is coming soon. And we might be tempted as Christians, just especially if we have that priceless inheritance of eternal life that Peter uh, tells us about in chapter 1, we might be tempted to sit back in our recliner and say, Jesus is coming back, I've got a home in heaven, I'm going to sit back and wait, and I'm going to just watch through the clouds, and I, I'm going to be ready when he comes. But that is absolutely not what we're supposed to do. Some, someone has described it this, this way, as a time of watchful pursuit of holiness for believers. We're, can, we're supposed to be watchfully, uh, is that a word? We're supposed to be watching for Christ to come all the while being in a pursuit of holiness. Trying to become more and more like Jesus along the way. Peter uh, was also pursuing holiness himself. Uh, Keaton mentioned a few weeks ago in, in his passage that, uh, that Peter's writings indicated that he had grown spiritually. He had uh, understood some things differently. He had been enlightened to some truths, and, and he had adjusted accordingly uh, to Scripture. And, uh, and we see it here in chapter 4 as well. And notice that Peter says, just after he says, the end of the world is coming, be, therefore be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Another version says, be self-controlled so that you can pray. Now, remember our author here, Peter. He says, be self-controlled so that you can pray. Does anyone remember this? Matthew 26, verse 40. Then he returned to the disciples, Jesus returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Peter's growing as well. Peter says, well, yeah, I got to be self-controlled so that I can pray. Jesus called me out. I was falling asleep. Jesus wanted me to pray with him while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and, and Peter, or Jesus, called me out. I'm, I'm working on the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Peter is making sure that we're working on self-control as well. Here's, he says, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. He goes on, verse 8, and says, most important of all, that's a big statement. You read that in Scripture, you better pause for a minute. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Most important of all, that love, that deep love is 
Another version says fervent love. It means stretched. It means strained. It carries with it an idea of action or cost, not just a pat on the shoulder and says, hey, love you. No, it's, it's doing something. It's a strained love. It's a, a stretched love that this is going to cost me something to display this deep love for you. And he says, love covers a multitude of sins. Don't misunderstand this. He's not saying that love uh, hides or covers up sin in a bad way. He's not saying that if you love, 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 it's going to take care of your sins. That's not what Peter's saying here. He's saying this kind of love means you don't broadcast other people's sins or stir up drama around them. Love covers sins mean, means love lets it slide. Love lets that offense to you go. You don't stir that up. You don't say, you shouldn't have done that. Love covers a multitude of sins, meaning you're showing them the same grace that Jesus shows you. doesn't mean that you can make up for your sins by loving people. That's not what that's talking about. A little side note here, another thing, I just sometimes you'll read something and, and I just find something interesting. He, he mentions there about hospitality. And the New Testament says a lot about hospitality. One, I think because it's a great way to demonstrate that deep, that stretched, that strained love. You know, opening up your home to someone costs you something. Uh, inviting someone in costs you something. But then on a little side note, something interesting I never thought of. I, I knew they didn't have holiday inns. I did think of that. But I didn't realize that the inns back then could be dangerous and unpleasant. And so for them to tell a believer, hey, open up your home to people, was taking care of folks because those hotels or inns or whatever were, were really scary places to go. And just a, a little practical side note there that I had never really thought of. We'll wrap it up in verse 10 and 11 here. Peter says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. And remember, I said that last week's was uh, more reactive. This week's is more proactive. He now says, hey, serve. Be proactive. Don't wait on the sign-up sheet to go around. Look for somebody to help. Serve. You have a gift. Use it. Be proactive. And, and, and by doing so, you're arming yourself with the same mind of Christ. Why? Because we know through Scripture that Christ served. Jesus served, and by, by, by putting on the mind of Christ and sinking your attitude with his and, and living the way that Jesus lived, then you're going to serve. Matthew 20, 28 says, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. And Peter says there's something everyone can do. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. And when you put on the same attitude as Christ and you serve, you look more and more like Jesus. He says, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. The songs, again, went perfect with us this morning. The song that Heather led in goes perfect with that. Everything that you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Not to bring honor or attention to yourself, but to elevate God. Every summer with our students, we pick a summer theme. Just a one-word 
theme that kind of guides our devotionals and, and our thought process to the students for the summer. And this summer, we're talking about Elevate. We're using John the Baptist's statement, he must become greater, speaking of Jesus, and I must become less. And every Wednesday night, we've been talking about um, elevating, elevating Jesus. And we talked about elevating others because we're supposed to serve others. And we talked about uh, not elevating ourselves, but elevating God. And Peter says, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. You're going to elevate Christ. And then I love this. It's so good. Peter gives such... Uh, a good sermon here that he amens himself at the end. He's not even to the end of the letter. <laughs> the end of uh, the end of uh, he's not even to the end of the chapter. And he says, "Amen." Here's the point: arm yourselves and go into battle with the mind of Christ. We're trying to live for Christ in a very difficult world. If you do that, everything that you do will bring glory to God, and you'll be ready to live for Christ in this difficult world. But it's all about that secret weapon. Arm yourself with the same mind of Christ, the same attitude that he had that caused him to leave that place that we're longing to be at and come down here to the place that we're trying to get out of. Somebody might say, Nick, you've said a lot about Jesus. We sang a lot about Jesus, and I'm not sure that I'm following you. Here's what you need to know. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he died for you. And he didn't stay dead. He rose again, and now he's alive and waiting for you to turn to him. He's waiting for you to say, I'm finished with that sin. I'm done with it. Jesus, you died for me, and you rose again for me, and I'm over here wasting my life. I'm done with it, and walk away from it. The Bible calls it repenting. Walk away from sin. Give Jesus all your faith and trust, and you can become a child of God. He's waiting on you to do that. If you have questions about that, you want to know more about what it looks like to, to place your faith in, in Jesus Christ and you're watching online or maybe you're here in the room, you can just text that word trust now to 94000. Trust now to 94000. And if you're in this room, I would love nothing more than to talk personally with you about that. And I know the other pastors would as well. I'll be down front. They'll be around. And we would love to talk with you about how Jesus Christ can change your life. So if you don't know him today, make that your decision today. If you do, make the decision today that you're going to arm yourself with the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the example that you give us through your son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for men, uh, faithful men, who wrote down these words so many years ago that we could know how to live in this difficult, difficult world. Lord, I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice would take this challenge to arm themselves, not with, a, not with a physical weapon, but with the mind of Christ. Lord, if there's one in the room that doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray that they would make that decision before they leave this room or before they turn off that screen, Lord. Let them make the most important decision that they have ever made to be finished with the old life and to give you their life and enter into a new lifestyle as G with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Master. Thank you for the opportunity that I've had this morning. Thank you for these people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.